This is CliffCentral.com. Well, like I said, um, we're in exactly the same situation as last week. So, um, like the coach said as well, uh, he brought his craziness and what he brings to the team. And uh, it was just fantastic this week. And it's um, so easy to follow him if he gets into that zone. So I'm sure we're going to be in that same zone this weekend. And um, we're just going to take it game for game. This game is almost behind us already. Uh, we've got a huge game against Scotland. They were very good in the first week. So uh, we need to start on Monday morning early, uh, put in the hard work, uh, get ourselves mentally ready. And there's only one game for us that matters, and that's the game against Scotland now. So all the focus will get going to that okay, again. Okay, that's enough out of you, Victor. Thank you very much. Heineke May is crazy, hey? So is it is it craziness that's going to get the the box into this World Cup? Well, thinking of Heineke May and crazy, I think I mean that I think crazy of him is beige underwear rather than white. But there's something very interesting happening with the Springboks right now. And of course, you listen to Rugby Central, where you're going to find out exactly what that is. My name is Ben Karpinski. I, of course, am the sports guy in the Gareth Cliff Show every morning here on Cliff Central. That is six until nine, or just catch the podcast if that's a bit early for you. I know it used to be for me, but this place changes lives. It changes lives, mine included. So we're into the third installment of Rugby Central. And we're into the uh, kind of third round of matches as well. So every team has played two, except for Namibia and Tonga. They play their second matches tomorrow, if I'm not mistaken. So what we're going to do this week is just wrap up on the results that have we have had last week. We've got two really interesting guests. Uh, one is a guy that watches more rugby than you and I put together, in ca- unless you are that guy. Uh, that is Langdon Bat. He... Um, Interesting character. He did the alternative cricket commentary with me during the ICC World Cup recently. Incredibly, incredibly knowledgeable guy. And like I say, he's watching every single minute of it. So I'm going to touch on the box and I'm going to chat to him to get some real perspective on the matter. The whole thing about the show, of course, we need to get more than just the headlines. We need to get more than just Victor telling us they're going to try to play every game and its merits and they're going to try hard for Monday at training sessions. There's a lot more to it. And I think with especially with the better teams as we're now going towards the quarterfinals there's a lot more that's going on in order for them to achieve more and progress in this tournament speaking of progressing that's what new zealand will definitely will be doing and we're chatting to scotty sumo stevenson in the last sort of 20 minutes of the show now if you don't know your rugby you don't know new zealand rugby scotty's essentially a kind of new zealand's answer to matt pierce only slightly younger a lot funnier uh kind of decent beard and of course, Scotty does the commentary on the live matches, plus he interviews the players and is a constant live wire. I chatted to him two years ago prior to the SA All Black match, and I think it was probably the greatest interview I've ever had in my entire rugby and sport-loving life. So that's a quick snapshot of what's going to happen this uh the show. Let's get straight into it, right? The Springboks, they won 46-6 over the weekend. Now, many of us thought that if we're going to lose to Japan, then we've got even bigger problems versus Samoa. Thankfully not, though. If you look statistically, sorry, statistically, yeah, third week, sorry, into my fifth week of these braces, and I'm still getting tripped up. Um, <laughs> if we look statistically at that match, we generally always beat these guys by about 40 points. We've played them nine times now. We've played them five times alone in the World Cups. And if you just look at the injury list right now, I think it's time that both teams started seeing other teams. Why do we keep getting these guys in the World Cup? It's so frustrating because even though we win the battle, the war, as far as physical um, fitness afterwards, we definitely lose that one. There's something about these guys. I don't know if they've all got tribal tattoos that sort of home in towards Springbok skin, but whatever it is, these guys are constantly bruising us and battering us. And one big bruising battering was, of course, Jean de Villiers. He is no longer playing international rugby. He's been forced into retirement. 
I wouldn't say early retirement. I think it's on the cards either way. But the guy is just so jinxed. You know, he's played over what, 108, 109 times for the Springboks. Six of those out of have <laughs> come at the World Cup. I think he shouldn't have been taken purely on the fact that the guy's completely jinxed. He's gone to four World Cups, right? The first one, he bowed out right in the beginning in the warm-up match. Broke a smashed up knee. He then went to the 2007 World Cup, played against Samoa for about 20 minutes, tore his bicep. He then went to the 2011 World Cup and Bryce Lawrence ejected him as well as the rest of the Springboks. And now, 2015, in the latest legacy of injuries and bad luck, Sean Villas is heading home with a broken jaw. Heineke Mayer said he broke his other jaw. Of course, that was just him saying Afrikaans for he broke the other side of his jaw. So just in case you were wondering, he doesn't have two heads. Although he might need it to come back and, and captain this box side. There's just so much happening around the Springboks right now. But now we get a moment of clarity, okay, because Jean de Villas is now gone. Now, we don't quite know the full extent of the injuries as far as Damien de Allen has got a sore knee. Jesse Creel looked to have a bashed up face. Um, so we might have a completely new center pairing completely with Jan Serpentine coming into the, the team. He will have arrived today sometime. Andre Pollard's also a center option. Pat Lambie, of course, then will go into the fly-off. But who knows? Let's uh, not speculate too much on that because we've got, got so much to talk about. So what was really terrible against Japan? Well, so many things. We're going to chat to Langdon in about 20 minutes, so let's not skirt around too many issues. Let's just go to the hard-hitting ones. Against Japan, we had no attacking elements whatsoever. And I'm not just saying it to sound sensational. We had nothing. We had Zane Kirshner catching it and kicking it back from the back or running into someone. We had uh, one-off runners basically playing fly-off the entire match. And we had John DeVilla's inside center not doing a lot in either defense or attack. Bringing Damon DeAllender, give Andre Pollard the chance to actually be a fly-off and bringing Vili LaRue. Suddenly, we had a team that was doing something. I know it's just Samoa. And Samoa, I think, leaked 42 tackles on the day, which suggests that the box were given free reign to do a hell of a lot of stuff. But the bigger key out of all of those players was the fact that Farida Priya started the whole thing from the back line. Now, it's not just me that doesn't think Ron Pina should be at this World Cup. I think many people share my sentiments in that there's no future for this Bok team if he's going to pick the ball up, go sideways, then look up, and then decide to pass, and then actually recoil, and then pass. Uh, if you can play that back, there's actually four elements to that. Whereas Farida Priya, he's getting the ball, he's making stuff happen. He picks up, he goes forward, or he just passes straight away. But the whole thing is, now we've got loose forwards who are running it with purpose. They're not just running with the ball because they're bigger than hopefully the fly-off they're running into. They're running because they're getting good go-forward. Now, this is something that sets up quick ball, and then with quick ball... You really get across that game line. Now, this isn't just a coaching tip 101 for anyone who's kind of new to the game of rugby. It's just common sense, really. We're looking to outsmart and outrun the teams in this World Cup, not run into them. And it's just such a huge glaring divide between the Japan performance and the Samoan performance. And you've got to kind of think, how is one coach or how is one team capable of such a turnaround and that they were so terribly lacking in that Japan match? So one of the... Big question that came out of the press conference. And when South Africa gets, gets kind of um, interviewed in the press conferences, nothing really comes out. I'm going to give you a clip of the latest English one to show you how the differences. But a journalist did say, Hanukkah, why is it that we have to kind of go through such adversity and such like failure in order to galvanize ourselves into a big success? Now, I think it was either him or Victor then answered the question, obviously answered it terribly with cliches and platitudes and half-truths and evasions. But it's a very good point. Why is it that we had to lose to Argentina terribly at home to then go and beat Argentina away? Why is it that we got to lose to Japan at the World Cup to then come back and hit our straps against Samoa? There's no real consistency here. 
And again, it ties back to the fact that Hanukkah Mayer hasn't got much of a platform with this team. The players he has, amazing. No doubt about that. They're really, really good, really, really talented. From experienced players like Brian Banner, um, Brian Banner, um, Victor Matfield. Yeah, sure, Victor play well. Let's just give him some credit there. All the way through to someone like JC Creel who can come onto the game and he's just physically amazing. He's got speed, he's got desire. There's so much in this Bok team and you think that if it was just directed properly like we saw on Saturday we wouldn't have to go through the trials and tribulations of this and I think a lot of Bok fans will sympathize with me here is that it's really not worth it these ups and downs we just can't have it we've got to get more 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 and more consistent so to go through the stats of the game and why we were so much better than Samoa well just up for the front the fact is points we scored six tries they scored all of zero Samoa were doing pretty okay until they threw the intercept pass J.P. Peterson scoring three tries. They weren't the greatest tries from what he did, but the team definitely did really well to set those things up. Penalties conceded. A bit of a worry, though. We still conceded 15 penalties. Bismarck Duplessis was kind of ousted from the match day 23 with suspicion that his discipline isn't what it could be. Well, we still gave away lots of penalties. 15. Um, penalty goals, we got four. We did miss quite a few conversions, though. Uh, four conversions in total. So maybe there's still a bit of a question mark around the kicking. I know Mornay stands waiting in the wings, and for a lot of you might think he may he continue to wait, but when it comes to the tight matches, I mean, we just saw England versus Wales. Again, we're going to touch on just now. You know, you miss a kick in a match like that, that's the match. Going on to kicks from hand. Well, I think the box kicked a hell of a lot smarter this week. That's another thing that Validarou does come in with. He's got that left boot from the back. Ron Pina um, doesn't have a very educated boot. He's more just got a boot. So when Farida Priya took over from him again the kicking improved Pollard you know one of the kicks went out in the full from a kickoff he has been prone to do it from time to time but again it was a much better kicking performance because as you know just watching the All Blacks it's not just about running it's about kicking smart and really putting the pressure and keeping the pressure on another thing from the Japan game is when we scored they scored afterwards no pressure was maintained whereas here we did a much better job at that meters run 668 to Samoa's 233 ball retention was key here and uh, we definitely capitalized on that. 14 clean breaks, and now two of them uh, for Samoa. So that we absolutely monstered them in that respect. 148 carries to 88. Defenders beaten 41 compared to 11 from Samoa. And passes. We definitely get the ball flowing a lot more, 194 to 108. That, of course, has a lot to do with the fact that we had a lot more possession. Now, these are all key factors, but it's good to kind of reflect on this because if we don't have this right, we're never going to win anything. So 61% possession over 39 for Samoa and territory, a whopping 72% over 28. Again, ties back to the fact we kicked intelligently. Wow. See, this is also like a therapy thing for me to kind of sort of debrief all of this after the match because this we need to know why the box are doing well and why they're doing badly to kind of really counter the whole up and down situation. We're pretty good in the lineouts. Our scrums were a slight worry there, but something that I really did find most worrying out of all of this was the turnovers. Now, Samoa had 10 turnovers to off four, which then ties back to another thing that we've been chatting about, and it is, was there more of a call for a second specialist open sider to go to the World Cup as well? 100% was brought into the Bok fold for the Rugby Championship, and obviously prior to the World Cup. He, but he was then given the flick. Hanukkah was so dead set on having these big ball carriers. So Willem Alberts, even though he hasn't really had much game time, 
Very injury prone right now. He's gone. Peter Steph to toy. No game time whatsoever, but they wanted him to go as well because the big ball carrying slash lock. Sio Khaleesi, he can't be expected to be an open sider. He's a genuinely good number seven, kind of in the mold of a Skulk Berger as well. He'll do a hell of a lot for you on the field, and he'll never stop tackling. But then you've got Francois Lowe. Everything hinges on Francois Lowe. And uh, again, he's not quite hit his, his top form just yet. So there's an only concern there with that loose trio. When Dwayne Familia gets back to full form, I mean, I think he'll definitely, you know, help out with the, the breakdowns. But the fact that he made the distance over the weekend is very, very encouraging. The guy had a massive neck injury. And the fact that he managed to sustain all those massive physical blows from the uh, Samoans, very, very in, in encouraging. So that's all we've got time for the box for right now. Just a quick snapshot. Much better, much better. That's the platform we must now work on. This is the game we must now play with the players that know how to execute it. It's simple as that, really. I don't see Jean de Villiers being lost as a massive problem. I think, if anything, the whole sideshow around him wasn't great for this Bok team. We've got more than enough leaders. It's not like we... Yes, sure, we're going to lose a whole lot of experience, and people do look up to Jean. But I think going forward, let's just focus on this game that we played and we're able to play by just using our heads, finally. It wasn't that difficult. So, more of that in about 10 minutes when we chat to Langdon Batch. He's going to put the whole game into perspective from us. Uh, this is someone who actually supports the All Blacks deep down, uh, but we won't rag about that too much. Something I do want to play for you is the aftermath of um, England versus Wales. Now, if you didn't watch that match, try to find it somewhere. It may have been the game of the tournament so far. England at home, of course, playing in front of many, many fans, including Prince Harry, a weepy Prince Harry in Twickenham. Anyway... It was 25 and 28 to the Welsh. Stuart, was it right to go to the corner at the death there and not kick the penalty to potentially draw the match? I don't think games are won or lost on big moments, but that was certainly a big moment, wasn't it? And, uh, you know, we've got to look at the decision-making, um, but more importantly, we've got to look at the discipline. I mean, you know, Wales stayed in the game through penalties and... Uh, and also the snooker win, and uh, you know, obviously we're absolutely gutted in the change room. You led ten points after the break. How did you lose that match? Well, as I said, you know, uh, giving away penalties and, and Dumbig's a world-class goal kicker, and he kept banging him over, and suddenly they're back in the game. They get break down the edge, and uh, and suddenly it's twenty-five all. And uh, well, you know the rest. How damaging to your World Cup hopes is this? Well, it's not great, is it? I mean, well, I've sent the players inside. I mean, Wales will play Fiji in four days' time. We've got to play Australia. Wales have got to play Australia. So there's a lot can happen. Uh, but it's a massive game for us now next Saturday, without a doubt. Are you concerned at the pressure that's going to come on you and your squad? Well, the pressure's on everyone, isn't it? It's a World Cup and we've just lost a game against Wales. So it's a, it's a must-win game next week, no doubt. Hard line. <laughs> you got to love this English press. Like, they're always like that. They get into the, their coach's face. And it's like, you're leading by 10 points at half-time. What happened? How did you lose that? Stuart Lancaster casting a very, very sorry expression after that match. And you think about his team. I've, I've likened them to the box in the past in that there's a lot of hype around this team. They really should be producing something quite special. But they just don't seem to be able to kick it on. Their attack is pedestrian at best. And, um, well, you know, the whole thing of what's the, who their fly going to be? Is this Ford or Farrell? Uh, is Robshaw very good strategically? Do you remember that when we played um, England at Twickenham? And uh, I think they were trailing by four points or five, four or five. Anyway, it's not important right now. The game was pretty much done. So Robshaw with a penalty deep in uh, Bok territory was given the option of what to do. And when you're trailing by more than three, you don't take the three points because then you don't essentially win. If you know how maths works. Of course, rugby is a game where you must score more points than the other team, even if just by one. That still means a win. Anyway, Robshaw took the points and uh, 
proceeded to be the butt of every possible joke around maths and just bad captaincy. Anyway, same thing kind of happened here. Only difference was that England had the chance to draw the match deep into the game here. And to their credit, they went for the corner. Okay, they had a terrible lineup call, throwing the ball to the front and just getting pushed back in a touch. But this is what the moments do, and I strongly disagree with Lancaster, saying that big moments don't decide games. Well, when it's that tight and uh, it's the World Cup, they really do, bud. They really, really do. Because if you look at their pool now, right? Now, they are pool A, the original pool of death. Australia have now played two. They've had their two easy games straight up. They're on nine points. Wales, after beating England, are now in second, also in nine points. England are now in third. Now, what this means is that they play Australia this weekend. Now, if they don't win that match, they're completely gone. If they do win that match, uh, they still aren't guaranteed to stay in. So basically, what they need to do is beat Australia and then hope that Wales beats Australia. Well, well, basically, there's a lot of mathematical stuff going on here. But basically, Australia... Uh, they need to lose something. Or they win everything and then Wales loses to Fiji. Don't think it's going to happen really because, well, we knew this was going to be it. That Wales versus England game was going to be such a decider. And the way it was played suggested nothing else but that. Lots of injuries for Wales. But sure, they somehow managed to keep 15 men in that field. Not exactly easy. But uh, they did in the, in the end. And good good for Warren Gatlin. And the guys had quite a lot of... Uh, bad luck around this he of course is the guy who coached the british and irish lions to victory down in australia in the last tour of the lions so there was so much riding on this for him you know it's gonna be wales at time they showed great strides in the 2011 world cup and uh unfortunately i don't think they get too far here but what that does mean and we're going to go through the pools here just have a little eye on the quarters because it's something we will touch on with scotty stevenson in the last 20 minutes is that pool a i still believe australia they're going to finish top of that one and they'll be joined with wales now what that means is that australia will then play scotland and wales will play south africa now south africa currently they've played two games they've got seven points scotland are ahead of them after two games having 10 points in pool b but that big game this weekend of south africa versus scotland i think if the box win that one they win by more than seven I can't see anyone kind of getting in their way from there because after that, they've got USA. Samoa and Japan, well, mathematically speaking, they can still make it, but I highly doubt it. I think Samoa showed on Saturday that they don't really have much going for them in this World Cup as far as beating any big sides. And um, I don't think they'll beat anyone else. Japan will probably overrun them. That's if Japan can then obviously maintain the fall and it beat us. If you go further down... We look at the other side of the quarters, and Argentina, well, after they lost to New Zealand, there was only one thing for them to do, really, which is use the rest of the pool matches to prepare for the quarterfinals. Now, that quarterfinal is going to take place, I believe, against France, because Ireland are looking really good right now. They're playing within themselves, and if Johnny Sexton can stay fit, then these guys are going all the way through to the final, I believe. Ireland topping pool D right now with 10 points, France on the 9 uh, Italy, well, they barely beat Canada, so there's no late charge there. So pool C and D, I think, pretty much sewn up right now. The only variable there could be is when Ireland play France and France kind of uh, upset Ireland. If that would be the case, right, France would finish top of pool D. They will then play against Argentina. But if it goes to form right now and current point standing, if Ireland beat France, then France play New Zealand in a quarterfinal. Now, this is going to be a much-anticipated match because... New Zealand know they're the best team in this World Cup. They've proven it. They have everything going for them. But if they play France in the quarters, it's one of those games I don't really want. I still believe they're probably 20 points better than France, which has obviously been the case for a hell of a long time now. But there's always that option that the French could suddenly bring out a, a decent game. I mean, they only won the World Cup last last time around by one point over the French. 
just one point, eight seven the final tally there, and people were expecting an absolute runaway victory. So New Zealand, I think, well, if they were given the chance, and we'll chat to Scotty about this, uh, I think that they know that both teams will be very tough in the quarters, but <laughs> the France is the hoodoo. It's a bit unfortunate for New Zealand though, because they're going to finish top of their pool, doing everything they need, and it's very difficult to get either France or Ireland the next round. South Africa on the other side of it haven't done particularly well. They'll, they'll scrape the top of their pool. They're going to get an injury-laden Welsh team, which I'll take any day of the week. Well, that said, I'll take an English team right now as well. Anyone but New Zealand and Australia, I think. I think those are two danger ones for South Africa. So that looks at what the quarters look like. Uh, what we got next is Langdon Bat. Uh, Duncan, so producer, Duncan? Yes, Duncan. Hello. Are we looking good to call Langdon? Okay. So... If you are looking to interact with the show today, listening on WeChat, messages on Cliff Central, we'd love to get your thoughts on, well, whatever you're thinking around the quarterfinals, if the box are definitely going to top the group. I think they will. No doubt about that from here on in. If they were sketchy against Samoa, then I would still say that, that Scotland had a chance. But I think the box have found their groove. Uh, they're not out of the woods just yet, as I'm sure Landon will tell us shortly. Um, and then another talking point from the weekend was the pitch invader. Uh, his name is being revealed as Isak something or other. Isak Holzhausen, uh, predictably from Brackpan, so no surprises there. And earlier on I asked, what do you reckon the punishment should be for Isak after invading the field and then not even entering a ruck through the gate? Now he came in from the side, which is so embarrassing. People were going on about the fact that he deserves to wear a bra from now on because he did so badly not covering one of those. People were making lot jokes about his mommy jeans. And uh, <laughs> it's just so many different memes and things like that. If you're not on Twitter for this World Cup, you really need to do so because there is so much happening. So many jokes. Uh, obviously, up to the minute analysis and statisticians are throwing all kinds of things around there. And uh, it's just so exciting. They call it the third screen experience. Anyway, enough about my babbling. If you don't want to interact with the show, tweet me at followthebounce on Twitter or chat on WeChat at the Cliff Central app. Or you can just give us a call. Um, I haven't got the number for you just now, but I'll have it after the interview. On the line, we have Langdon Bat. Langdon? Ben, how's it going? Uh, fine, Langdon. I'm just going to turn you up a little bit here. All right, hang yeah, on a second. Please, please. I want to have what happened in that first cricket game. Eh? <laughs> right, hang on a second. Uh, right, I'm learning this desk as we go along there. There we go. Langdon? Check, ben. check. One, two. Check, check. Check, check. Okay, Duncan's giving me the thumbs up, and he's the producer, so therefore it is official. So, Langdon, um, we everyone's kind of played twice. Uh, the box finally decided to play, well, some would say the box only played once because that game against Japan was just so <laughs> dire. Now, you've been watching pretty much every game of the World Cup so far, so I'd rather have... Pretty, pretty much. I'd rather have you on the line than anyone from a sort of mainstream uh, audience or <laughs> an ex-player for that that matter. What's been no, the biggest... What's been the biggest trend so far um, in your eyes? And I, I say that because one thing I've picked up, it's been quite a competitive World Cup so far in that there haven't been the cricket scores as expected. And uh, yeah, the teams have been pretty evenly matched. But what's the big standout so far for you this this time in the tournament? Uh, you, you know what? I, th- I think number one is the attacking attacking rugby. That Even the minnows are having a go at the big guys, which is massive. And it's completely different to, to the normal World Cup setup. Uh, you know, normally they go, if, if some miracle Japan gets a turnover, they're going to hoof it into the stands and then have the box run at, it, run at them again. Uh, it, that doesn't happen anymore. You know, the guys are running, they're confident. Um, 
I, I reckon you, you just give it up to the world rugby who are sending these uh, top-level coaches to these uh, Minnow Nations. Well, I'm glad you bring that point up because if you look at the parallels between cricket and rugby, the Cricket World Cup is what we kind of expect. Uh, the minnows win the toss. Um, they try bowl, so the game goes 50 overs, and uh, they get completely hammered. Whereas here, the, the whole thing about um, dispatching top-level coaching to all these teams is that everyone has the ability to know what the game's about. Now, we've seen the handling improved all the way along, from Romanians giving offloads to Georgians giving skip passes and all kinds of things. It's been a real joy to see. Now, is it also because a lot of the players are being exposed to high-level uh, competition as well? I mean, some of the Georgians are playing in Europe. There's a Romanian Super League by the sounds of things. Is that also something that's kind of kicked on since the last World Cup? I, I reckon so. You know, I, I know I know a couple of Namibian guys are playing in France. Um, I think it definitely does help, um, especially especially with something like attacking skills and defensive skills. You know, the guys are coming up a bit quicker. Um, not just waiting for the All Blacks to run at them. Um, yeah, I, I definitely think it does help. I mean, the more the more exposure these these guys get, the, the better it's going to be. Well, it definitely shows. With I think when you look at the overseas-based players, except for Ron Pino, in the in the Bok team, there have been elements that have come into it. And this whole plan of if you don't play in your country, you can't get picked in your country. Um, is it just is it just New Zealand that has the current policy with that? Yeah, yeah, you know what? Going back to Ron Pino, let's hope that uh, he either gets stuck on the bench or he trips falling and gets hurt before he goes on the field, coming off the bench. Um, but I, I think I, I think it's 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 vitally important. Even the, even the box that are playing overseas, you can you can see it does help, especially when they go to Europe where the field's a bit heavier, more of a forward dominated attack. You know, I, I think it does help a hell of a lot. Yeah. All right, well, let's get to it. Let's talk about this box match because I just sort of um, touched on it at the start of the show about the fact that it was much more improved. We definitely used the ball intelligently. We kicked with some sort of intention rather than just to feel uh, boot on ball. And um, by and large, it was a kind of performance that gives Bok fans hope. Now, as someone who takes away the emotion and watches this game kind of more objectively than most, what was your big takeout from the Bok match? Uh, uh, you know what? I think, I think first of all, just a big, big comeback game. Um, I think we looked a hell of a lot better on attack. Um, defensively, we still have a big, a couple of big gaps. Um, huge gaps if you need your proceed still on the field. I think, uh, I think he's an absolute surf and is lucky to still be on holiday in England. Um, uh, big ones, Billy LaRue back and Damien DeAllender back. I think that made one hang of a difference um, in the back line. Then, uh, Farida Perth. Uh, I think was the decisive uh, thing in that game. I mean, he was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, look, some people say that Hanika Man knows what he's doing. Um, I've always been a big believer of that, but I think I've been misled of late. Now, he definitely believed that Farid Apri was going to be the only guy who could possibly get this team going forward the way he wants them to get it forward. Many people have said, well, you've had four years to cultivate a new Farid Apri, what's been happening? Do you reckon that it's one of those cases where he's a one in a million kind of player, or it's just none of our scrum ups have been conditioned or managed properly to actually replace him or at least match him? Oh man, you know, you know, I mean, you know, I'm a big Fuster Clack fan. Um, I, I reckon, I reckon, yeah, but he, he's, he he's, he's a lion, so he'll never get picked. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, uh, yeah, you, you know what, Frieda has been there. He's done it. Um, he's, he's got the t-shirts and lost a lot of hair as well. Um, and 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 he's just uh, you know he's he's cool under pressure and he knows he knows where to he knows where to go and he, he kind of gives our our background a bit of direction and I think that's what was lacking against uh, Japan we kind of didn't know what was going on um, 
throughout the game and until he came on and when Pollard links up with him it's uh, so much better you know, you, you know the, the the amount of amount of pressure he takes with Pollard with the, the, the kicking from the base and good kicking not just crappy kicking like uh, Mr. Pinoff Well Langdon it's like you're following a script you're just teeing me up for all the things I want to share I mean, Andre Pollard has been given a lot of flack about the fact that you know he's not reliable and he's had a tough start to international rugby and he's just been based on the one game against the All Blacks. I've long believed that he is something special that needs to kind of go forward. Pat Lambie's good, but you know, good like Super Rugby good. Pat, for no disrespect to him, I think he brings a good balanced game. I don't think he'd be a bad choice at any stage for the Springboks. But we need to always look, who's our Dan Carter kind of guy? Who's the guy that's going to really take the game somewhere like Johnny Wilkinson did for England? I think Andre Pollard's that guy, but he's been given such crap service from Pinoff for so long. And I think the forwards haven't done him any favors either. Here we go against, granted, a slightly lesser opposition, but here we go with good service and a good platform. And the guy got man of the match on the weekend. So. Yeah. You know, you know I think, I think in the last 10 years, we've had the, the best 10, 12, 13 has been Carter, Carter, Nani Smith. And we've got the chance, if we play our cards right, to, to have the next top 10, 12, 13 in combination with, uh, with Pollard, Dallander, and Creel, if we play, play our cards smartly. Well, we're kind of having our cards forced upon us right now because Jean's obviously had to retire. Um, as Hanika said, he broke his other jaw. Um, so now we've got this, this unenviable case of having to fill that role. Now, I say unenviable because Heineke will do it with much caution. As fans and as people who maybe thought John Davidis shouldn't have been there from the start, we think, great, well, let's just go with the 10, 12, 13, like you say, Pollard, D'Allen, de Creel. Jean Serpentin is coming into this team. Of course, we still need the full bill of health from all those players. But do you think that that um, May will be so bold as to throw those players in there? Well, you know what? I, I don't know what's going on with uh, Dallander's knee and uh, Creel's face. Um, but uh, but uh, I, I I did read somewhere that there's a there's a good chance that Pollard is going to end up playing inside centre with uh, Surfington on the outside, and uh, then the big debate of who's going to go at ten. Um, I, I you know I, I think I think we all just hope and pray that uh, he's going to be going to be smart and look, look towards the future, and and also look towards att- attacking rugby. Um, South Africa can play attacking rugby. We definitely can with the right players, um, and Dupree being there. Is, is the right player. Well, I, I personally believe that Hanukkah May is superstitious and he just never, ever wants to pick a 13. He'll, he'll play two inside centers until the day he dies if he really, really could. So the, this whole thing about uh, player availability is a key aspect. So we can't really speculate too much on that backline other than the fact that we've got to look at this like, okay, next generation, Sean's gone, okay, that area has now finished. Uh, no doubt Matt Field will get the captaincy just to kind of steady the ship, so to speak, in Hanika's mind. But this is a, you can't plan when you get these new eras. Ideally, it'll always be like, sorry, um, post a World Cup triumph. You can sit back and go, right, guys, this has been brilliant. This is my tenure to this point. We're now going to do something different. We haven't got the luxury of that. And I don't think any team should expect the luxury of that. Our new dawn starts right now. And I think we've got to go with that back line. We've got Frida Pre doing so well in running it. Pollard, if Mayer thinks he's the best running flyer in the world, don't move him to inside center. We can't have that mistake right now. Ugh, you know, it, sometimes it does frustrate me knowing that we've always had the resources and still do have the resources as South Africa, as a team. Um, but hey, it's, it's how, how it gets uh, thrown around. But let's move away from the backs right now. I think we've spoken at length the fact that we know that uh, the box are a hell of a lot better just by just using the resources. Let's get to the, the forwards now. Scrum was a bit of an issue. 
And uh, Yanni Duplessis, whether because he was injured on the weekend or whether just he might be in bad form. I mean, we thought he came back in the rugby championship. Now, when um, Farn came on, he was a hell of a lot better. And when Trevor Nyokani came on, if anything, he was better than the Beast. Is it time for this front row to get a bit of a rest? Yeah, you, you know what? I don't think the Beast is all that bad. I think it's really difficult when you, your tight head is always going to go backwards. Um, Yanni Duplessis, <laughs> unfortunately... Yeah, well, look, I mean, look there, there's no doubt. It's got, he's in reverse gear permanently, I reckon. And, um, <laughs> yeah, 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 it's difficult. I mean, he, I think he did well. I think he did even better when uh, France came, came on. Um, Strauss, Strauss was quality. I, th- I think he did exactly what we wanted him to do and, and, and didn't do any of the other flashy things that we used to seeing and celebrate when Bismarck does get it right. But when he gets it wrong, we all hate him. Um, so I, th- I think Adrian Strauss is solid, solid, solid at, at, at hooker. Um, and then, and then obviously, Yanni Dupuis, who has been out of form for the last five years, I reckon. Um, you know, he was he was a servant defence, like I've said before. Never um, had the stupid penalties. Um, I don't know. I don't know who is who who's watching the game in that box squad and thinks that he's doing all right because uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm battling with that one. Well, I'm looking at the stats here for the game. He made eight tackles in the weekend for the time he was on. He missed one. It's interesting. No, well, yeah, well, that's great. I mean, it's, it's look, if you're going to stand pillar defense and a guy runs at you, you're bound to just stand there half the time and let him fall into you. Okay, look, I'm not going to argue, argue with you on Yanni because he is off his best. And, um, oh, France, sorry, I called him Fan for some reason earlier. France, however, there's a guy with a lot of promise and uh, also has injury issues, but definitely better than Kuni. If we can get something out of this whole tight head fiasco, is that France, Malhoba on the bench. Kuni, no thank you. Well, well, here's my thing. I think they're talking last weekend. Um, if, there's always a good sign with a, a bench player that when he runs on, when he gets to play, he's not tired. I think it was against Japan. I, I think that was a big, big deal. He, he honestly looked, and it, it, I almost saw him ask the referee for an asthma pump when he got that first breakdown, which was, uh, which was slightly scary. Um, and the other big thing is Francois Herb has really come a long way with running with the ball as well. You know, he was... In the past, he was a he was just a big scrummager, you know, and uh, and decent defender around the, the tight loose, and, and now all all of a sudden um, he's starting to run run the ball really well. He looks good with ball in hand, and 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 now Pinyoster starts starts to panic a bit. Mm. Okay, well, staying with the front row, the next thing we have to talk about is uh, Bismarck Duplessis. Now, Adrian Strauss, I think he's a solid player. I think he definitely does everything we need from a hooker. He's quite stable. Lineups are solid. Doesn't give away too many penalties. And it comes scrum time, he's definitely holding his weight. Now, to have him, no-brainer for me. It's what we do with the bench again. Now, to get back to your point about running the field, not being out of breath. Running on the field, Skulk Brits with 20 minutes to go. Local conditions, lots of experience. The guy could not be hungrier for match rugby. Do you reckon that's the way we're going right now? And Bismarck's got to do something very special to get back in this team? Yeah, you, you know what I hope so. I hope so. I think I think Scalpert, just ju- just his attitude towards the game. I, I think he was the one guy after the whole Japan debacle that was actually positive, and 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 just looked at it exactly like it was. It was a a game of rugby where we didn't do what we were meant to do, and and Japan did, and 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 it showed when he had his chance to express himself on the field. He, you know, he's he's a quality f- footballer, and um, he's obviously being in Europe, being based in Europe, he he knows what what the conditions are like. He knows how to play against these sides. Um, and for me, playing against someone like Scotland, man, we could use a guy like that off the bench. 
I think it also just ties in with the play. If we're going to keep it quite open and quite quick with Farida Pri at the, at the base, um, it just definitely helps that the bench does something. If you look at the All Blacks, and if you ever want to make a rugby point, just reference the All Blacks. That's what I've come to learn in my 33 years of life because you'll definitely make And a listening point. to me, obviously. And listening to you, mostly as well, yeah. Um, if you look what the All Blacks do, is that when, when they make a substitution, they're not doing it because someone's tired. They're not just doing it because they want to, I don't know, give something a go there's a plan okay there's a plan because there's something happening you saw in the first game uh Marnani wasn't quite getting over the game line he wasn't really asserting himself like he used to sable williams comes on suddenly the all blacks go from trailing to winning the match at a canter there's got to be some sort of plan like that with all of our players so you can't just say okay well that guy's not as good as the first choice player so he's gonna just sit here and when the first choice player is tired uh, the circle come on. So I think with having Skulk Brits there, there's a definite plan that we can then pick things up in the last 20. The same with Lute Diaga. Yeah, I know. I would love to see him start. But um, what's his name? Nick Mallet made a good point in the weekend. I know that's a hashtag in itself. Hashtag Nick Mallet made a good point in <laughs> the weekend. Is that he said, play Victor up front by all means. Okay, they have to now because he's going to be the captain. But if he can control things set piecewise in the beginning, that's great for this current South African team because they need that. They need to base everything around that. When you got Lotte Yaga coming on with 20 minutes to go and fresh legs, that must be one of the scariest sights in world rugby because you've already had to deal with Irvin for like an hour or a little bit. Lotte Yaga coming on and just bashing skulls, that's amazing. You've got something like that and then you've got skull Brits on top of that. Suddenly this Bok team is starting to actually raise some real, real hope. Yeah, you, you know, I think any, you know, if you look at the All Blacks, you've got 23 world-class players at at any point in time, and I think South Africa is one of the only countries in the world that can actually do similar, uh, have a similar sort of situation. And you've got to act like Lurti who's got more guts than I think any other guy on the field at any point in time anyway. Um, I think that you need that. Maybe when things are getting a bit tight and uh, Victor Matfield uh, has, has has run out of juice, I mean, then, God bless him. He's ninety odd years old. He, he is gonna he is gonna get a bit tired. He's not gonna make eighty minutes. Um, so 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 when he does get a bit tired and he's huffing a bit, you know you need a guy that's uh, that's got that's got the guts and obviously and also obviously got got the skill sets. And Lutiacher definitely has that those skill sets. Right. Okay. Well, um, one thing before I let you go. Uh, we don't really need to worry about the, the kicks at goal. Um, yes, we missed four conversions, but that's no biggie. I think JP Peterson, the most he scored his tries in the corners. Um, oh, JP Peterson. I was waiting for you to say something about JP Peterson. It wasn't even directly. Why? What do you got to say about JP? Well, well, man, you, you know what? I have a, I have a massive issue with our Bok wings at the moment. Um, uh, look, Brian Abana, great. He's, he's a record holder and he's got relaxed hair now, so you've got to pick him. But JP, <laughs> JP Peterson, I, I don't know. Yeah, everyone's going to go make a big hoo-ha. He's going to play in the 2019 World Cup now after that hat-trick. But uh, I honestly think, yeah, he scored a hat-trick or interception. He ran off the line, which was great. But almost got tracked down by the hooker. Um, and then those other, other two tries, uh, I think any South African with two hands could have scored those two. Look, to be fair, I still don't know what Luaz Invovo did to get dropped, other than the fact that, oh, he, that, that his inclusion means that Brian Abana's got to dick around on either right or the left and they alternate. JP, obviously, for his experience. Um, but yeah, it's amazing how things turn. Huh? If that Samoan had put a grabber kick through to the space that JP's wing had provided, rather than throwing that stupid pass through at him, it could have been a very different outcome. So yeah, let's just, let's just leave it there. Let's just say JP scored three more tries to add to his tally. We need to get to the one thing that is still something worth debating, and that is the breakdowns. Samoa beat us turnovers 
10 to 4. 10. Now, I know uh, Barnes was quite liberal with uh, some of these sort of entries by the Samoans, but I think Barnes had a great game all in all. 10 turnovers going down. Now, some people say maybe this is a cause of bringing Bismarck back alone just on that, or is it because we're just a bit light on the breakdown uh, flank-wise, at least forward-wise? You know what, I think I think the only reason why people go crazy about Bismarck and the breakdown thing is because our, our tight forwards aren't really doing their job. You've got you've got uh, Francois Lowe who works his backside off every weekend and, and does all the grunt work. And then and then you've got Skull Cats great around the loose and, and throwing those passes around when they come off, they look great. Um but the big concerns normally with you know, you've got Victor Mantle that plays outside centre, um Skull Cat plays at ten half the time. Um uh, uh, yeah, I think if we have a tight, a tight pack that actually get to get to the breakdown um, in, in time um, and help help Francois out a bit, I think we'll be alright. Um, so I think it, it isn't actually it isn't actually a, a case of expertise here. It's more about just being present. I think so. I think so. I think against someone like Scotland, you're going to have a four pack that loves to flood the breakdown. Mm. Um, you've got those heavy those, those those forwards that want to try and smash you to get those turnovers. I think if we play smart. Um, we can definitely turn them around. Um, a guy like Francois Lowe is, is unbelievable on that ball. Um, so we just need to give him some support. You know, back him up instead of running and, and being the first one to put your hand up to be the, the pod runner, you know? <laughs> well, Langdon, I must say, your insights are as spot on as they are entertaining. So I think the key breakdown here is that Hanukkah May needs to be quite bold in how he fills the Yandavilla's gap. Um, forgets the uh, superstitions. You can pick a thirteen at thirteen. Um, Yanni Duplessis perhaps on the way out. Uh, just show up at the rucks, and um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Boxing win the World Cup just on the back of our insights. Yeah, Simple. yeah. You know what? Let's let's have a go. Let's have a go. Let's have, cool at thirteen. Come on, come on, Hanukkah. Let's have a crack. Well, let's just also hope that uh, they're all fit and able. Uh, it's not not nice playing with a suspected fractured optical uh, globe, which I think is what happened with JP uh, with with JC Creel. David Allen's knee hopefully not not a big deal because there's a guy who's genuinely got some presence. I think it's quite funny again going back to New Zealand when you walk look at those guys with the ball. There's genuine excitement. It's like oh my gosh, he's got it. We didn't have that up until now. Now when uh, Dallin gets the ball, people are actually saying, oh my gosh, he's got it. Especially the girls, huh? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, th- I think, I think, fielding, I mean, if you're going to defend flat against that guy, you, you do have a, you do have a, a more than oh my God moment, uh, especially when he's hitting you at pace. Uh, it's, uh, you're almost looking at the sideline for a spare pair of shorts. And he's a big boy. Yeah, that he is. Langner, thank you so much for joining us. It looks like Scotty Stevenson, our last guest, uh, is being lost in Skype translation. Uh, but so Langner, thank you so much for filling in for, well, you've done the job of two people today, really, which is an amazing effort. It's, uh, very much like Francois Lowe at the breakdown. Oh, please, please. Oh. Thanks, Ben. Absolutely superstar, Langner. Thanks so much. Chat to you soon. Cheers, man. Bye. Okay, so yeah, it looks like Scotty Stevenson's not going to be able to join us, unfortunately. Duncan and I have tried our best, uh, but yeah, the Skype doesn't seem to be working from New Zealand. But hey, we're going to have some New Zealand flair anyway, and then on the back of this, we are going to wrap the show with the fixtures for this week. But first... I am the future of South Africa. On my shoulders, I carry the hopes and dreams of generations to come. I'm eager to learn, but even more eager to use my knowledge for good. I know that it's not where I come from, but where I'm going to that really matters. At Sibanya Gold, we believe our youth is worth its weight in gold, which is why we are so committed to developing, nurturing, and grooming our young people into future leaders. Sibanya Gold. 
We are one. Daunting and dominant as always. That was the All Black Hako in the Olympic Stadium. It's kind of cool how they're mixing up the stadiums for this World Cup. You've got the really small kind of uh, tiny football stadiums, but they're also using Wembley as well, which of course is huge. They use the Olympic Stadium, which of course had the Olympics 2012, and then they've got Twickenham, which is just such an absolute fortress for English rugby. Although, after this last weekend... Well, sad times. Okay, we've got 15 minutes left to go. Thanks so much for joining us for our third edition of Rugby Central. Again, apologies, Scotty Stevenson couldn't join us this morning, but we'll have more guests going forward as we chat to people from around the globe and what is being such an amazing international event. And again, I just go back to watching the Cricket World Cup in comparison. Here, it seems like the spirit is just so much better. The fans are loving it. The vibe is great at every stadium and every game is pretty much sold out. It's, it's just so cool. I think rugby have got it so right. And uh, long may they do so. Right, so let's just quickly recap on the results from last week. Now, there haven't really been any big uh, upsets. The Georgia-Tonga one was the first one. Japan-South Africa, very much the second one. So how was Japan going to fare after that? Well, they got absolutely drilled by Scotland, 45-10. It was a bit of a shame uh, to see such an anticlimax, but how the Japanese were ever going to maintain the intensity was, I'm sure, beyond them. Australia, they started out with a 28-13 win over Fiji. Not very convincing, but, you know... The Aussies, I think, have got a lot, of, a lot in reserve, and I think they've got strengths in the right areas. I think uh, we're talking about breakdowns and securing possession and uh, big ball carriers on these conditions. They've got a really, really good side there. France, too strong for Romania, 38-11, although slightly flattering results in that they scored sort of uh, 14 pretty soft points before halftime. Romania, of course, are a lesser nation, uh, but spirited at that, and they did manage to try. New Zealand's first game, sorry, second game was against Namibia. Namibia lost that one 14-58. Many expected uh, New Zealand to put up a cricket score here, perhaps even touching on three figures. Namibia, of course, have lost, I think, 142-0 in the past to Australia in this tournament. But to their credit, they kept it quite tight. Nas Boota was saying that maybe they played a little bit too negatively in order to try and keep it tight. But still, 14 points against New Zealand. That's better than the box have done sometimes. Then Argentina on Friday played against Georgia. Now, Georgia had already had that win against Tonga. Very spirited team this. They've got that ginormous eighth man whose name I won't even attempt to pronounce in fear of butchering it. He was unfortunately given a yellow card. Early on the second half, Argentinians replied with three very quick tries, and that game was over as a contest. 54-9 to Argentina in the end. Then one of the matches I really enjoyed from the weekend was Italy versus Canada. Now, Canada, they got hammered by Ireland opening up, and France, well, they quite easily beat Italy. But the Canadians, with a few South Africans to help them along the way, they came so close. Italy eventually pulling away at the end. They're winning that one 23-18. SA 46, Samoa 6, we've, of course, spoken about that one at length. The England-Wales game, that was something that was hugely entertaining. 
And, uh, well, England just tactically weren't sound. They just didn't know what to do at the death there. And they just didn't have the players to really come up and fight for that one. You've got to wonder if England will ever have the players that are going to fight for something. You know, we, we criticize Serka for lack of game plan and lack of imagination from time to time. But something you can never, ever, ever doubt from our players is the heart and the character. England, on the other hand, they'll make a big noise about someone like Courtly Laws. Courtly Laws will enter stage, exit stage left about 50 minutes into the game and nobody will even know or care. So good, good game, good game there. Sorry for Wales. Dan Bigger was huge. He really did step up and was the BMT player that needed to squeak that one. Then Australia hammered Uruguay 65-3. That's the most comprehensive of the win so far. Scotland were good again, beating the USA 39-16. And then Ireland, well, they took on Romania yesterday, and they also won by 40-something points. So we need to look into the fixtures for this weekend, or what we need to look at. We went through the pools a little bit earlier in the show, basically showing who's going to go through. I think it's just pool A where we don't really know the outcome of that from from uh, going to quarterfinals. Pool A, of course, has Australia... England and Wales. England are very much on the outside looking in there, qualifying-wise. So let's get into the fixtures and see how that impacts on how they're going to go forward. Tomorrow, Tonga versus Namibia. That is the final game in the second round. Uh, nobody really care about the outcome of that one other than people who are from Tonga and or Namibia. Then Thursday, Wales got a very, very short turnaround. Um, something that kind of concerns you when you've got lots of injuries, which Wales does. Now, I think they lost another two guys, potentially three from the weekend. And they didn't really didn't have one guy to lose, let alone three. Mostly in the backs. Um, so what Gatlin does to kind of rearrange his team, they will beat Fiji. I think they definitely have enough depth to beat the Fijians. Fijians haven't been that great, and they haven't really taken their chances. They seem a bit uh, confused on how they're really going to go out playing this World Cup. Anyway, that game is Thursday at quarter to six. That's followed by France versus Canada. Now, the whole thing about that group is, of course, is France or Ireland. Those are the two that are vying for that top spot. Whoever gets it plays Argentina. Whoever doesn't will play New Zealand in the next round. So massive incentive there for France and Ireland. France's next chance to prove their worth is against Canada. That's Thursday at 9. Then Friday, New Zealand have a match versus Georgia at 9 o'clock. Now, one thing I did want to chat to Scotty, who unfortunately couldn't join us today, is, is it detrimental to have an easy pool going into the quarters? If you look at... South Africa have made their pool hard for themselves. Maybe that's a bit of shrewd tactics anyway from their side. Look at Australia, England, and Wales. Obviously, very tough pool. If you look at Ireland, uh, France, even, you know, there's, there's quite a lot to play for in that pool. New Zealand's pool, they had their tough match against Argentina straight up. From there, they've got some pretty sort of lesser teams. They've got Tonga, they've got Namibia, and they've got Georgia. So whether they're going to be really tested and whether they really know what they've got as a team going into the, the quarters, well, it remains to be seen. New Zealand, of course, are a very, very good side, so you will definitely back them to do pretty much anything. So they're going to play Georgia, and it definitely gives the backs a fair amount of chance to run with it. Um, whether they're going to use their full-strength team for this one or just chop and change, who knows? All we know is that New Zealand has so much depth and so much talent and ability, and uh, yeah, Georgia are in for a big hiding there, I think, especially now that the wind has been taken out of their sails after that Argentinian match. Next Saturday, sorry, this Saturday, so Samoa will take on Japan, that's at 3.30. Essentially, both teams are out of the running. Uh, I can't see either of them eclipsing South Africa or Scotland points-wise, which then brings us to the match on Saturday of South Africa versus Scotland, played at 5.45. Now, it's very cool how South Africa's matches have all been at the same time. Drinking-wise, it's uh, late enough to know that you have had a few, and it's early enough to know that you can still have a big one after, which is very, very 
very, very considerate from World Rugby. So Scotland versus uh, South Africa. Any way Scots can win this one? Well, as Langdon said, if they flood the breakdown, they can nail their kicks at goal, and we have some sort of meltdown or lose a couple more players, then yes, very much so. But I can't see it happening. I think I think South Africa have learned a hell of a lot, and it's frustrating that they need to learn a lot through disaster. But even without Sean de Villiers' captaincy and all the other factors that are playing against us, they've got to be too strong for Scotland. And if they're not, well, then they don't deserve to be there. And then I really do hope Samoa or Japan get through because if we lose two games in the pool, well, yeah, I'd rather go home and just consolidate and get a new coach and that kind of stuff. But the big one on Saturday will be England versus Australia. No doubt, again, being played in front of a packed Twickenham crowd where Prince Harry will hopefully have something more to smile about then uh, from the weekend, if you go onto go onto Google, just Google Prince Harry, Prince uh, William, and you'll see so many funny memes. Because the two of them sat side by side. Of course, uh, William is a Prince of Wales. Well, I think they both kind of are somehow affiliated to Wales anyway. So William's in the red jersey with his wife next to him, and then Harry's in obviously the English jersey. And uh, there's this really really great photo of of William uh, hugging his wife cheering in the red jersey big smiles and then there's there's uh, harry and the meme is something like that awkward moment when you realize that you don't have the girl you're not going to be king and you're a ginger and your team just lost <laughs> pretty much sums up absolutely everything so england versus australia at nine o'clock can't see english winning this one i think the aussies are going to hit their straps just when they need to and they obviously know that winning this match on the weekend will pretty much cement their chances of winning that fight the that pool because Wales with all their injuries uh, I don't think they're going to challenge Australia so big big Saturday and then Sunday rounding things off we've got Argentina versus Tonga again Argentina essentially assured that second spot that's at 3.30 and then Ireland versus Italy Ireland's got a really good run into this uh, the quarters if you look they're pl- basically playing their matches on an even grading of easiest to hardest so they've really played their two minnows they beat Canada then they beat Romania and now they've got Italy. Now, they should be a good 20 points better than Italy, but definitely gives them that little step up to try and challenge what sort of selection issues they might have. I've said it before, if Johnny Sexton can stay fit and healthy, then the Irish are going to go through to the final. I see a New Zealand Island final, and I see it for so many different ways. So Sunday, 5.45, they're going to take on Italy, and they're going to win, and they're going to cement the spot at the top. And basically, it all comes back to next week's match, which will be it's, sorry, Ireland versus France. That pretty much wraps it up for this week's edition of Rugby Central. Again, apologies, Scotty Stevenson couldn't make it, but we'll be sure to have more guests in our next installment. And for the rest of the week, follow me at Follow the Bounce and uh, listen to the Cliff Central morning show every morning from 6 a.m. Now, you'll be able to get my daily sport updates there. And, um, yeah, always going to keep you right at the forefront for all things World Cup. If you haven't caught the whole show, catch the podcast on cliffcentral.com or listen on the Cliff Central app. Thanks for joining us. Catch you next week. This is cliffcentral.com.